For those of you that were expecting Brian this morning, surprise! As I've uh, often said, uh, you'll have to set your sights just a little lower. For those of us, uh, yeah, I know, I know. For those of us who are vertically challenged, uh, here I am. Thank you. Okay, uh, no, 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 please. Uh, listen, um, you know, I've noticed over the last few months how much we have grown. The numbers are astounding. And um, I also recognize then that maybe some of you don't know who I am. You're going to say, well, you're obviously not Brian, so who are you? So uh, I'm Gary Miller, and uh, my wife, Paula, and I have been attending this church since 2007. In the past, I have been a voting elder of the church. And I guess depending upon how the vote goes today, I might become another voting elder. Uh, We'll find out later on, I guess. And um, my wife and I have the honor of uh, teaching in the men's and the women's Bible studies here and also have served on the missions committee um, and uh, try to be very faithful to our Chinese fellowship. They're very dear people to my heart. So that's who I am, and uh, let's begin this morning. It was wonderful to listen to the music, to listen to you praising God and raising your voices We're very blessed, I think, to have Tyler and the crew of people who work tirelessly every week to uh, bring music to us, yeah. And uh, some of the earliest songs that we know of actually come from the Bible. Did you know that there are approximately 200 songs that are in the Bible? And no, we're not going to go through them all today. Uh, We're just going to focus on one. But the earliest song that we have recorded is found in Exodus 15. Uh, That's where Moses offers a song of deliverance uh, after the people have come through the Red Sea. The Israelites have come through the Red Sea. The sea collapsed and uh, took care of the Egyptian army. And it just occurred to Moses that it would be the right time and the right moment to burst out into song. He was overcome with joy for what God have, had done. And of course, we can remember that the book of Psalms is actually known as the Jewish songbook. So I've really been delighted that uh, Pastor Brian decided to celebrate Advent this year by choosing some of the songs that are really focusing during the, focused during the time of Advent, the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. So you're going to need your Bibles or your electronic devices, I mean, you choose, and you need to open them to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be focusing on uh, the verses beginning with verse 46, which is known as Mary's song. But before we discover the meaning and look deeply into this song, I want to take just a moment and look at the setting where this song actually occurred. So to better understand it, uh, this song is known in many circles as the Magnificat. Uh, We first have to look at the context in which it was delivered. So let's review the situation surrounding Mary and her relative Elizabeth. You, for those of you who who were here last week, or if you looked at the uh, sermon online, we discovered that Elizabeth offered her proclamation, her 
her song of joy when Mary visited her at her home in a city in the hill country in Judah. Now, commentators have kind of surmised that that home was about a three days journey away from Nazareth, with, which was the place where Mary lived with her family. As we remember in the Christmas story, Mary had just recently received word from the angel Gabriel that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would conceive a son. And of course, so we learned that was pretty shocking since she reminded the angel that she was a virgin. So that was a miraculous announcement and one that would change the entire world as we know today as, and it fulfilled very many prophecies. But in Gabriel's message to Mary, we're here at Luke 1, he also reminds her that her relative Elizabeth had conceived in her old age. Now, if you look at those words very carefully, old age really refers to a woman who was well beyond her childbearing years. But at this time, when Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth was already six months pregnant. So the announcement to Mary must have sparked something in her that said, wow, my relative Elizabeth is pregnant. I I need to go and visit her. And so off she went. So I thought about what, what type of house would Zacharias and Elizabeth live in? You know, we're not specifically told about that home, but we can surmise a few things. For example, Zacharias, he was a humble priest who faithfully served in the temple. We learned about that in the first of this series when Pastor Brian talked about Zacharias' song. We know that he was a member of the tribe of Levi, and being of that tribe, he wouldn't have owned any land. Those of you who remember the story back in Deuteronomy when the promised land was broken up by the tribes, the tribe of Levi did not receive any land. So Zacharias and Elizabeth were basically ordinary people. We also know that Mary was humble and she came from humble means. Uh, We see that through her betrothal to a common man. Uh, what is known as a carpenter. Some would say he was a stonemason by the name of Joseph. And we see this in her own expression. And I want us to look at that real quickly in Luke 1, 48. Here Mary says these words, For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. So what does this tell us about those that God selects for this special service, the service of Advent? Well, we know what God says about him. For example, in Luke 1.6, we read that Zacharias and Elizabeth, and this is how God describes them. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. You see, these were people who expressed great humility in their relationship with God. He wasn't their friendly neighbor. He was creator. He was Lord. It was an honor for them to have been selected by him. So this cause was a cause for deep respect and awe from Zacharias and Elizabeth. 
And likewise, Mary exhibited humility towards God. Her words in Luke 138. Now, uh, let's just take a quick look there. This is after Gabriel pronounced uh, to her about the birth of a son. She says, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. There's that word again, bondslave. Be it done to me according to your word. Now, Mary humbled herself in that situation, but she also knew it was going to be a rocky road. There was going to be some immense challenges for her because she had to explain her pregnancy prior to her marriage. So these were ordinary people with an extraordinary commitment to God. So he chose them to be the parents of the Messiah, Jesus, and his forerunner, John. Humility has always been a desired commodity attribute of those who follow God. And let's look at a few of those verses this morning. I have them up here. At least I think we do. There we go. Let's start with 2 Chronicles. Very familiar verse to many of you where it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. But this isn't just an attribute for Old Testament folks. Uh, James wrote about this where he says very clearly that we should humble yourselves before the Lord and he, God, will be the one to lift you up. And just recently you remember that Pastor Brian's been teaching from Ephesians and in chapter 4, verse 2, we find these words, be completely humble and gentle, be patient bearing with one another in love. Now, there's lots of verses that speak about humility in the Bible, and uh, it's no wonder that these three people were going to be used by God in his miraculous plan for the salvation of mankind. They had all the hallmarks of humble service to the God of the universe. So, let's take a moment and look at the song. Mary's song is recorded only in Luke 1. If you look at all of the passages of the Advent story, it's only found here in Luke 1. And as I mentioned before, it's called the Magnificat. That uh, title comes from the very first words of the song. You can find them there in verse 46, where Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. So like the other songs that we have studied and will be studying, all we have is the lyric. Now, I know that there have been many, many tunes. I used to do some things in music years ago, and uh, they have been written tunes that incorporate these lyrics. But uh, I have to tell you, I'm not going to sing any of them for you today. Um, not going to work for any of us. So uh, we're going to move on. But we don't exactly know how these words were given to Luke. I mean, how in the world did he get the words that Mary spoke? Well, I thought it would be best to view that. So I found a clip, a video clip, that I hope you'll enjoy this morning. I told Luke about this, how she was overwhelmed for the both of us. 
and she called me the mother of her Lord. And we were laughing and crying together. And it was all too much. And words of praise just burst out of me. Please tell me I'm about to hear them. You're going to write them down and deliver them to Luke. The materials are here. I trust you to get them right and to keep it safe and to get it to Luke. I've kept it all to myself. As you know, I like to treasure things in my heart. <laughs> I was shy. And it felt personal between God and me. But I wish I would have shared it with Joseph. And people must know. These felt like God's words as much as my own. I can't explain it, but they did. And people must know. It's like the song of Hannah, but even more beautiful.
hope that moves you like it moves me. So the song is filled with expressions of praise. And it's regarded as a Thanksgiving song. There are two parts of this song in particular that Mary raises praise. The first is personal praise that she raises. And we we see that in verses 46 through 49. But secondly, in verses 50 through 55, we see Mary raising praise for God's activity among other people. But Mary's song also reveals something about her own spirituality and her understanding of the scriptures. You see, these personal aspects that Mary expresses to us help us to better understand the real deep emotion that she felt at that time. But as we're thinking about the emotional part, and I'm sorry, it makes me a little emotional. Some of you don't know me to be an emotional guy, but I really am. (laughs) We have to look at some basic facts. I mean, here they are. For example, angels appeared and spoke to people. Now, let's face it. That's not an everyday occurrence. Next, we see that a very old lady had become pregnant. Third, a priest, that's Zacharias. He became mute after his angelic encounter. Couldn't speak for more than nine months. How about this? A a virgin was pregnant with the Messiah. And fifth, the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth and her unborn child. But notice, with all of these miracles that are taking place, there's actually very little fanfare. I mean, Zacharias couldn't speak, Elizabeth was in seclusion, and Mary left town. It seems that God used these supernatural encounters to bring about miraculous outcomes. But almost nobody knows about it. Perhaps that's the reason why God chose humble people. You see, they weren't interested in recognition or praise. They were just obediently following God's direction as they humbly watched the miracles unfold. So I mentioned earlier that the first part of Mary's song includes praise for what God has done for her. And I'm sad to say that this section of Luke has been distorted by many people. They kind of twist the focus of Mary's praise. They, they want to exalt Mary as sinless, and I've actually heard her called the uh, mother of God. But I want you to notice something in Mary's song. We see that Mary says in verse 47 these words, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. That's a very specific word, Savior. So who needs a Savior? (laughs) Well, sinners need a Savior. You see, Mary needed God to save her from her sins, just like you and just like I. So let's make it clear. Mary is to be highly regarded just as she said, but not worshiped. Worship is for God alone. But we should also notice that Mary recognized that God has had regard for her. We see that in verse 48. That's a really significant thought that the God of the universe had regard for this humble little girl. The Greek word there actually means to look upon with special attention. 
So you see, Mary regarded that God gave her special privilege. He looked upon her humble estate. So I was a little bit curious about that word, humble, as it's used right here in this passage. And so I found that the Apostle Paul actually used it as well. Uh, Writing to the Philippians in chapter 3, he says these words, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our lowly condition into the conformity with his glorious body by what? The exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. Those words, lowly condition, are exactly the same words that are used to describe Mary as humble. You see, Mary seems to understand that God selected the lowliest of people to become the mother of his son. There's nothing in her words or in her composure to suggest pride or privilege. She knew that it was God who selected her. You see, Mary was of low estate economically because she lived in poverty. But she was also in low estate socially because she came from Nazareth. And Nazareth was a town that had a pretty bad reputation. But her next words are critical, and I want us to look at them. They pop up in verse 49. After she says the words that all generations shall call me blessed, she immediately says, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You see, Mary quickly shifts the focus of our attention away from her, And unto the one who does the work. It's God who is to be praised. But we also see from her song that she has a firm grasp of the scriptures. She probably studied them when she was a young girl. For instance, as was mentioned in the video, her song has great similarity with Hannah's song of thanksgiving. You may remember the story. Hannah was barren. She wanted a child. She pleaded with God for many years for a child. And when God finally offered her this child, when she gave birth, she sang a song. And here it is. It's from 1 Samuel. It says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. Sound familiar? Okay? Because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Moving on. Do not go on boasting so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. But not only does Mary quote from Hannah's song, if you look at her song very carefully, you see she quotes from Psalm 34. She quotes from Psalm 103. She quotes from Psalm 111. So her grasp of praise for God was rooted in her knowledge of the scriptures and her desire to express those praises in words that would have been commonly known to the Jewish people. Now finally... I want you to notice that Mary also uses the phrase, he has. She uses that phrase seven times towards the end 
of this song. Let's look at it, beginning in verse 51. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty-handed. He has given help to his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So Mary is intentionally drawing our attention towards God, who alone is responsible for mighty acts and kind treatment towards those who are humble and hungry and in need of mercy. But there's also a link with the Abrahamic covenant, and that's really important because God in that covenant, we find it in Genesis 17, he, he promises Abraham that he would be a father of a multitude of nations and kings would come forth from you. This will be an everlasting covenant to Abraham and to his descendants. You see, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Mary is mindful that God would fulfill his covenant with, the, with Abraham through the birth of her son, the Messiah. Mary's knowledge of the scriptures is clearly evident, and in her song, it leads us to believe that it is God who is doing the work. But there's one more aspect I want us to focus on, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit. So we have the setting, we have the song, and we have the Spirit. So now you must know I come from a Baptist background because, well, you know. Okay, all three. The presence of angels announcing the conception of both John and Jesus is really important to the Christmas story. It's told in song, and we see it in all kinds of images throughout the Advent season. But I want to remind us that it's the Holy Spirit is also present And he's present in significant ways and in several people. We should never forget that it is God who orchestrated all the events surrounding the birth of his son. And as we know, the Holy Spirit is one of the people of the Godhead, right? The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he has had and continues to have numerous roles. We see them both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. During the Old Testament time, the Holy Spirit often came upon people, but until the day of Pentecost, the Spirit did not reside constantly in people all of the time. And I want to pick out just one example so you know I'm not just saying this. Uh, David wrote in Psalm 51 uh, a significant piece about his repentance following his encounter with Nathan the prophet, who accused him, rightly so, of adultery. So David wrote this psalm of repentance, and he uses these words. He says, Do not cast me away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That's Psalm 51, 11. So, where do we find the Holy Spirit in this story of the coming of the Messiah? Well, it's pretty clear. Let's see. First of all, we find him in Luke 1.15. Here, Gabriel foretells of the baby John being 
filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. We learned that just a few weeks ago, or actually last week. We find him again in Luke 1.35, where Gabriel tells Mary that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, indicating that the Holy Spirit will actually participate in the conception of Jesus. Next, we find the Holy Spirit in Luke 1.41, where Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit when pregnant Mary enters her home, house. Next, we see that in Luke 1.67, where Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins prophesying following the birth of his son, John. But lastly, we also see the Holy Spirit in this story when it's eight days later and Jesus' parents take him to the temple for the ritual of circumcision. And there we see a person named Simeon. Simeon has the Holy Spirit come upon him. And prior to this, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is deemed very important to this Advent story. It's filled in the lives of the people who are involved. But what does the Holy Spirit represent for us today? Well, you've heard Pastor Brian um, quote Wayne Grudem before, uh, so I'm going to do it too. Uh, Wayne has written a significant volume called Systematic Theology. I've actually known him uh, through the years. And he tells us that the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest or to make known the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. Did you get that? The active presence of God in the world and in the church is found in the Holy Spirit. So what does he do? I mean, how... How, how is he actively engaged? Well, we learn from John 14 that the Holy Spirit empowers us for service. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us power to serve others instead of ourselves. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that the Holy Spirit purifies and sanctifies us. John uh, 16, uh, where Jesus is speaking, said that the Holy Spirit will reveal truth to us, the, the truth of his word and what it actually means. And in Acts 2, we see that the Holy Spirit brings unity in the church. And if you remember, Pastor Brian's spoken to us many times about how important unity is in the church. Well, it's the Holy Spirit who brings that unity to us. So even though the Holy Spirit was present at the advent of Christ, we need to remember that he's also filling and dwelling with each of those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. What is he doing? Well, he's actively encouraging, convicting, teaching, and directing his children as we attempt to, you've heard these words before from Ephesians 4, walk in a manner worthy of his calling. So the Christmas story reveals a critical aspect to us for life today. The Holy Spirit is now the demonstration of the presence of the Trinity among us. He's doing God's work in our hearts and in the lives of men and women today. So, 
What do we do with these truths about Jesus' advent, about Emmanuel, God with us, coming to earth? And what does Mary's song and the filling of the Holy Spirit signify for us today? Well, I believe that it has an awful lot to do about God's great love. His great love through this miraculous story. His great love through the special filling of the Holy Spirit. And his great love for each one of us who believe in him. You see, God continues to be with us in a special way through the presence of his spirit expressing his love for those of us who are his children. And this love is so great that God allowed his son to come to earth. And let's just pause for a moment. Jesus coming to earth, he became part of his own creation. Right? We find this in Colossians 1. Jesus, the great creator, became one of his created. Jesus came to live among us. And ultimately, Jesus humbled himself to die for us. Well, the Apostle Paul is the one who's expressed this in ways that much better said than I ever could. He wrote this again in Philippians chapter 2, and I want you to see it. He talks about us. He says that we are to have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, something not to be let go. No, Jesus let it go by emptying himself, by taking the form of a bondservant. He was born into the likeness of men. And being found in fashion or appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, that's the story of Advent, isn't it? And that's the story that Mary was describing for us in her song. You see, she knew that her son was coming to die for our sins, for her sins. Just as John proclaimed, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, that's why we light the Advent candle of love today. It's an expression of God's great love for us. He did it, obviously, through sending his son to die for us. But he also did it by providing the Holy Spirit who resides with us, even today. But I'm reminded that not everyone, maybe not everyone in the sound of my voice, has felt this love, has sensed God working in their lives, has the Holy Spirit inside of them. I don't want you to miss the opportunity. This is a day to boldly accept God's love for you. He did all of this, everything we've talked about in this story, for you, for your benefit, so that you would understand what his love actually means for now and into eternity. So in a little bit, someone's going to come out here and they're going to talk about people being under the crosses. I've stood there many times myself. And they're going to say that 
You know, if you want to accept Jesus, or if you have a decision that you want us to pray for, we're here for you. I would invite you to come. Don't hesitate. This is a marvelous season, a wonderful time, but I think it might be the best time for you to accept Jesus' love. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we humbly thank you for sending your son to die for our sins, to come to earth, to become one of us. But yet, Lord, also to fill us with your Holy Spirit, even today, so that we would not only know your love for us, but we can sense it every waking moment. So God, I pray that you would move through the hearts of men and women, boys and girls who are in our auditorium today, that your spirit would prick their heart and cause them to respond, respond to to the great love that you have given to us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.